This message comes from NPR sponsor Patreon, allowing creators to build real, sustainable income through the direct support of their fans. If you're a creator, sign up on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and start building the steady income stream you deserve. All right, Professor McConaughey, are you ready for an Ask Me Another Challenge? All right, all right, all right. Hey, everyone, it's Ophira Eisenberg. In this episode, we talk with actor Matthew McConaughey. Listen to NPR's Ask Me Another, the answer to life's funnier questions. From NPR Music, it's all songs considered. I'm Bob Boylan. At the end of September 1969, this was the sound coming from speakers all around the world. Come Together by the Beatles is the opening track to Abbey Road. The album's namesake comes from the street name where EMI Studios was located. That studio is now called Abbey Road. It's where the Beatles recorded all their albums except for the White Album and Let It Be, the two projects they worked on just before the album Abbey Road. This would also be the last time all four Beatles recorded together. It was also the return to working with their producer George Martin, who was the guiding force for the band for so many years. Today on All Songs Considered, a conversation with Giles Martin. Giles is the son of George Martin. He'd been his father's ears for many years, and he's been working with Beatle tapes, including the Love Album, Sgt. Pepper, the White Album, and much more. To celebrate Abbey Road's 50th anniversary, Giles, along with engineer Sam O'Kell, remixed Abbey Road, using the original 8-track tapes and staying honest to the Beatles' intent, but also taking advantage of 21st century technologies. The results are stunning. They also have uncovered and released interesting demos, alternate takes from the time. Giles Martin refers to Abbey Road as a coming home of sorts for the Beatles, after the band had gone off on their own, working on the Get Back, Let It Be sessions without George Martin. My dad always said that Paul McCartney phoned him up and said, listen, we want to go back to the studios. We want to make a studio album again. And he always thought it'd be one last album. That was his view. I think in a way, like, it's like, you know, the Beatles lived such a sort of frenetic, compact lives. And I think they were like, you know, almost like teenagers that wanted to leave the nest and the nest being Abbey Road and my dad's production. I think the Beatles realized that leaving the nest wasn't as straightforward as they hoped. (laughs) And I think the Abbey Road album was almost a bit like, you know, coming home for a home cooked meal. You know, they knew they could rely on making an album that was great an album that would be more organized and that would probably glue the band together for this one last time. So now uh, here's a band that's gone through an awful lot in the past few years, some contentious, some friendly, but when you listen back into these tapes and maybe we can play an example of the banter and so forth, what the sense that you get of how would you characterize the relationships from what you heard listening back through these Abbey Road tapes? Surprisingly strong. I think is the answer. I mean, a little bit like the White Album, we got this sense that it's a band falling apart, but I think there was a gel with the Beatles recordings that they had where they knew that they'd all make each other's songs better. They were that kind of band. I don't think they ever doubted each other's ability as performers and as artists, and that gave them harmony 
<laughs> in more ways, ways than one, <laughs> in the studios. And that gave them confidence to push boundaries. And, you know, the thing that resonates with me whenever I go through these records with Ringo or Paul now is that they both say, you know, you know, we were a really good band. <laughs> you know, it, it's a silly thing to say, but I know what they mean. They mean as far as players go. Yeah. Is there anything banter-wise on these two extra discs that might illustrate some of the back and forth? Well, there's a lot of, I mean, there's some sweet things like, you know, this is again meant to be at a fractious time for the Beatles. They went into Trident Studios, which is which was in the middle of Italy, middle of Soho in London, to go and record I Want You See So Heavy. You know, one of John Lennon's darkest sounding songs, I suppose, to a certain degree. And Glyn Johns, you hear Glyn Johns on the talkback saying, you know, so this is late at night. There's people outside and, and they're complaining you're making too much noise. You want me to play this? Yeah, yeah. Have a listen to it. Okay, and then I'll play some of, uh, some of I Want You. of half of one and two and the other. What's it a case of, Mr. Martin? Take four was very good up to the breakdown. Which was, which, was, which was take four? And that was very good up to the very end bit there, when Paul did his little bit that wasn't quite right. My boys are ready to go. John? Yes? What? Is it possible without affecting yourselves too much to turn down a little? Apparently it's been a complaint. From who? Somebody outside the building. What are they doing here at this time of night? Oh, that guy, yeah. What guy? He's going the through the walls. It's his own fault to get the Right. Well, we'll try it once more, the yeah. very loud. Yeah. Right. And then if we don't get it, we'll try it quiet like it might do it the other way. Okay. The loud one, last go. Last chance to be loud. <laughs> Who says? One, two, three, one, two, three. Maybe we can play a little of the evolution of this song and talk about the actual remixing of this record because the remix of uh, the entire Abbey Road is pretty beautiful. Uh, oh, thank but, you. But the uh, I Want You is, to me, the one that leapt out for me, and you can tell me which leapt out for you. Uh, so let me do that, and then you can tell me about remixing uh, this record, which is quite different than what you've done before. They, they had a little more maybe to work with, with eight track instead of four. And you tell me, I'll start a little bit of I Want You.
So what are you working with here in trying to remix this? What were the elements, <clears throat> the challenges? Well, this, it's, a, it's a, like, like all of Abbey it's an eight-track tape, which means you have eight elements on here. Um, you know, it's kind of how a song makes you feel. Um, John is singing and playing the guitar at the same time. You know, I kind of, I kind of a bit like George Benson in a way. He's, you know, he's, he's singing. <laughs> it's really ridiculous to say, but I think, yeah. I think the listeners know what I mean. Is that he's playing the, he's playing, you know, he's playing the melody uh, and singing along to it at the same time. Yeah. In a way, it's 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 a complex recording. I want you to use so heavy because the actual master take is made up for a number of different takes edited together. And, it, and we have to sort of do a detective jobs, a job in trying to find out, you know, which which is one. Um, the challenge, I suppose, with Abbey Road is Abbey Road sort of marked a change for the Beatles in the way they recorded. The, the, the technology had advanced to an extent where, in a way, Abbey Road is now more of the 70s, the sound of the 70s than it is the sound of the 60s. You know, we had trans. We had suddenly moved into a world of transistor desks, and you know, forget transistor versus valve. What that purely meant is that they had more mic inputs, so you could record drums in a more sophisticated way. And you know, they had the great Jeff Emmerich back at the helm again, having having walked away from the band during uh, the White Album. And 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 yeah, it's it's a. The challenge for us was we kept on. I kept on working these mixes myself and Sam O'Kell, the engineer. And we kept on finding ourselves going around in circles, recreating the same thing over and over again. You know, we have all, we have our tricks up our sleeves we use, and we kind of use the tricks the Beatles used. We will artificial double track things to create width, especially with these guitars. The arpeggiated guitars in I We Need so, so So Heavy are so magnificently kind of, I don't know, unrelenting. And... You know, we found that by ADTing, which is taking the old old Ken Townsend trick from Abbey Road of taking an analog tape machine and, and running the signal through a tape machine and very speeding, you know, it's purely analog chain, we'd create the effect of creating a double track for the guitars, which means we can then have them in stereo, uh, which then, you know, creates a bit of a bit more, it just creates more sort of menace. And, you know, and the other things we do is we, we will reamp stuff. So we'll send the boys back into the studios 50 years later <laughs> and record the room around them. Um, and this so is the we, same room that they... The same room. They, well, in, in the case, funny enough, I'd like to say that because it's a good story, but in the case of I Want You So Heavy, that was right. recorded at, that was recorded at Trident. So so we're, we're not in the same room. Um, yeah, and it's just, you know, I think, I, you know, we sometimes get credit for, or a lot of times get credit for things we don't do. Um... We don't have to worry so much about the needle jumping out of the groove in the way that they did in those days. You know, what I mean by that is not we're not worried about how much bass we have in a record. Which is why we hear uh, Ringo so We hear so Ringo so well. And, man. and he's, uh, yeah. big, he's big on the toms, the tom-toms on this album, this whole album. Yeah, it's yeah. A, there's a lot of toms <laughs> in this album. And, he, you know, he changed his drum skins, you know. There was a, there was a lot of good... The, the, I think Abbey Road is probably, and I mean this in the right way, the Beatles' most hi-fi record. Huh. You know, it's the one where they went back to sounds again. Where I think with the White Album, perhaps, they, it was about immediacy, about capturing the moment. Yeah. This is a way more considered, a way more produced record than anything that's gone on before for them. I want to listen to the last uh, two minutes of Bliss here, <laughs> of, of uh, I Want You, She's So Heavy. Okay? Yep. 
it, every time. I mean, I've listened to this record for 50 years, and every time uh, that cutoff ending. I, I don't know if when you went to the tapes, because I always wondered what happened, because they obviously sp- cut the tape there. What happened after that? Yeah, the, yeah they, no, they cut, they cut the, the um, not the multi-track, but the mixtape. So we, we have it what? going on further. We just cut the sa- cut at the same place. Uh-huh. And what's cool about that? I mean, there's a couple of cool things that listeners may be interested in is, yeah. is that on the extras for the for the disc we we you know originally when that was played billy preston plays the sickest you oh, know yeah. organ solo and it's so beatles that they went you know what it's a great it's a great solo it sounds it's brutal it's vicious it's great but who's heard of white noise on a record you know, you know that's, and that's you know, it's like you know let's not have the let's not have you know one of the greatest virtuoso play let's have white noise instead that'll be way more way more dark <laughs> thinking about how many people would do that now they had is, a Moog synthesizer for those yeah, who don't yeah, know exactly. which is making this white noise I don't was it John Pl- no who's playing the in this case it was George's instrument it was George's instrument now I don't know who was I I, I mean you don't really play white noise to be honest with you so it's, I, 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 think I the beg to differ as a synth player yeah. Yeah. well there we are you can you can you go go and white noise away all you like on your own um and the other cool thing is we 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 actually had a go we mixed this in in full Dolby Atmos um surround and we were in the mix stage at Abbey Road and the young guys who were assisting us what was interesting is how demonized they were being by this track that noise in a large room it kind of gets you after a while and I was thinking this is so great we're shaking the bones of people (laughs) whose parents probably weren't even born when this music was made and that was kind of fun I listened uh, last night to the 5.1 and uh I didn't get any knocks on the doors from the neighbors, but it was up loud. And that particular song, uh, I want you. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Absolutely stunning. The five down one mixes are are amazing. And and, uh, maybe just briefly, really, I've never listened to Dolby Atmos. Very briefly, if you could like explain the two differences and and talk just a little about how you approach a mix that for people don't know 5.1 is five speakers like you're listening to uh, in a movie theater perhaps and then with center usually being more voice related and uh, and their dot one would be the bass the woofer part of it all but i don't know what dolby atmos is because i've never listened to it okay it's fairly simple yeah i mean i mean the 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 way we go about these projects is we mix we always mix the stereo first because actually that's the most challenging (laughs) that's the it's you could argue it's the least fun as well um because you know the, the the material that's there before is so great and the mixes are so good. It's not as though we're dealing with, you know, people didn't know what they were doing. A 5.1, as you say, it's creating rear channels, if you like, and has a center channel. So that's kind of, if you think about where the mono um, voices, drums, go, might go to the center channel. What Atmos does, it gives you a height, it gives you height channels. Um, so you now have ceiling speakers. And what that can create, which is kind of exciting, is it can create the space of the room around you. So my intent with all of this is to try and get you in the room with the band as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And that's what this does. Of course, it depends on what you're doing. If you're doing a concert, it's, you know, you get the crowd around you. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing a psychedelic album, we did, we actually did Sgt. Pepper and Dolby Atmos just for a laugh, actually. And mm-hmm. that's much more psychedelic than this is because it's a more psychedelic album. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's what it, that's essentially what it does. It, it's, if people think of 5.1 as, as surround, um, then Dolby Atmos is surround with height.
Let's take a break. And when we return, I'll play some demos and more from Abbey Road with my guest, Giles Martin. And you're listening to All Songs Considered from NPR Music. Support for this podcast and the following message come from American Mensa, the high IQ organization that offers intellectual stimulation and a place to socialize with smart people like yourself. Your high intelligence is the passport to compelling Mensa groups, events, and publications. If you think you may be eligible for membership, take Mensa's admission test or qualify using one of 200 other supervised tests that are accepted. Visit AmericanMensa.com join to take the next step today. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey. Jack Daniels is the oldest, mellowest, whiskiest whiskey. And every drop is made in Lynchburg, Tennessee. It's how Jack Daniel himself made it over a century ago. And it's how they still do it today. Jack Daniels, turning nights into stories since 1866. Please drink responsibly. I'm Bob Boylan, along with Giles Martin. He remixed the 50th anniversary of Abbey Road, along with demos and alternate takes and surround sound mixes. He's at Abbey Road right now as we speak. Let's talk about what is the a signature of Abbey Road, which is what uh, I never heard of, but is referred to as the long one, which we know as the string of songs that begins with You Never Give Me Your Money on the second side of the record. How did those bits and pieces come together? How did your dad work to help make that work? And it wasn't composed that way. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't. That's okay. the strange thing. I mean, I always thought, in my biased opinion... I love the, you know, what's known as the medley at the end of side two. I love From You Never Give You Money all the way through the end. It's, I think it's one of my favorite bits of Beatles music. I couldn't wait to mix it. However, other people say, well, it's because they didn't have enough songs. And so they had to chop them all together. You know, glass half full, glass half empty. They did, though, and this is, there was an influence on my dad. My dad, after, after Sergeant Pepper, he kind of, he wanted them to be more almost symphonic in their approach. And maybe, I think probably rightly, they thought that was a bit pretentious, perhaps. And they went and did exactly the opposite and did the White Album, which is kind of an indie band type record. <laughs> and that's very Beatles. It's like, that's what they do. You ask them to do one thing and they'll do exactly the opposite and it'll be great. Now, the long one or the medley, I think, stemmed from that kind of concept of let's just think about how we can make this a seamless record transitioning from one song to the other. But they knew about this. I mean, there was reports that John Lennon didn't like the idea. But the fact of the matter is, when they went to record this, they recorded a few of these songs in sequence of the medley, mm-hmm. So, which is, I found, surprising. Um, so a good example is Me, Mr. Mustard and Sun King are played as one song, even Can- though they're vastly different. I'm going to play a little bit of, uh, this is the long one. This is one of the extra discs not the final mix on disc three of the box set of Sun King and me and Mr. Mustard, and we'll do the transition, come back and talk.
Is that a synth that's doing the bassy line there? No, that's a fuzz bass. It's a fuzz bass, okay. Yeah. I was never sure. So you, so this was done together, John Lennon obviously partaking in the fun? Yeah, of course. I mean, and that's there was a rumor that John didn't like the medley, but as I said something the other day, it's John Lennon. Do you think if he didn't like it, he wouldn't have said something at the time? <laughs> And and that's the thing is they you know the same as you know polythene Pam going to she came into the bathroom window that's played as one song, that's quite a deliberate transition there it wasn't an afterthought and that's what Abbey Road is to a certain extent Abbey Road is a much more considered album than perhaps what they did with the White Album and certainly with the Let It Be sessions and I think it's because they perhaps needed that blueprint to to keep everything together. You know, they needed a common cause, if you like. You know, one thing that is unquestionable is that it was the band at the heart of their powers. You know, their, their playing is brilliant on it. The arrangements are, are, are complex but beautiful. You know, I think that it's the perfect epitaph for the Beatles. How about if I play a little of uh, the mix of, uh, the new mix of Because and tell me how the vocals were done because the harmonies are so gorgeous in this. Yeah, of course. This is your dad doing the harpsichord, yeah? This is my dad playing harpsichord. John's playing guitar. Paul is playing bass. And Ringo actually clicked out a rhythm, a, 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 you know, to, as a click track. Huh. And George is, George is not it. Okay. How many voices are there? Because it's not four. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I mean, if I say I said George is not because George is singing, and the comp- there was a very complex three-part harmony for this song that they worked out quite deliberately. With my dad actually at a piano because there's augmented diminished chords, so to sing that three-part is very difficult. What the Beatles did, or or John and Paul and George went into the studios, and the three of them sang probably into three mics but into one track that vocal part but they did that three times so you have nine Beatles singing together <laughs> and then and then what we do for the remix actually we use the Beatles ADT tape machine and we we, we give you more Beatles if you like um, uh, so that's automatic double tracking automatic ADT, double tracking yeah, correct yeah ADT, which is a, a thing that you can buy as a plug-in now if you're a musician <laughs> to your digital audio workstation and sing and have that nice double E sound that so John I think more than anyone in the band yeah most it's a famous. very John Lennon sound we still use the tape machine uh, because it gives us our own we, we, we have our own on our own knob to twiddle as it were <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, you know, it's, it's, I feel like I'm on a cookery program. You know, here's, here's one I made earlier. <laughs> this little, uh, the, the little Moog here again is, for its time, was way ahead of it. So tastefully done. And in tune, which is, which <laughs> right. is, which is, which is unlike the synthesizer of the, of the, of the era. <laughs> 
there are things on this record that people might not have heard before. There's a, a version of Goodbye, Pulsing. I'll just play a little second of this. This is He was working with Mary Hopkin on an album, and uh, this is a home demo. Please don't wake me up too late. Tomorrow comes, and I will... There's, uh, there's a nice uh, version of, of George with... Uh, I don't know how this was done. This is a home... It's a studio demo, I'm sorry. And is this all George? Is he doing the piano and the guitar, do you know? I think he might be. I think he is. Because it it's, on, it's on a... Uh, this recording is a four-track tape. Okay. And it has guitar and vocal. And then two different pianos, which I put together. Which I think if I remember reading the notes there, it was both him. So let's listen a yeah, little bit. George on an early version. Me like no other lover. Something in the way she woos me. I don't want to leave now. You know I believe in how. Something in But they use these demos to present the song to the band. Uh, the rest of the band is that the point of these or or how would these work out no i think it's for personal i think i mean i don't know it's just but i my my gut feeling is that that you know if they were to present to this this that he would probably play the song to the gotcha. band but it's just a way of you know my dad always said that george was like a a tapestry weaver with songs hmm. he would spend a long time you know being meticulous about how he wanted them to be my dad always felt slightly ashamed that he didn't give George enough time because he spent so much time with Paul and John. I mean, it's, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult, uh, you, know, it's, you, know, it's a, you know, it's not as though, you know, it, the Beatles had such a huge talent. And I think this version of something is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But I also think it shows the way a song has developed and, and the amount of the amount of input the rest of the band had in their songs. And the one thing that's true about the Beatles, it doesn't matter whatever was said about, you know, in retrospect, they knew that each member of the band would complement their songs in the best way possible. And I think they missed that a little bit after the band. Again, you know, it's what Ringo and Paul say to me whenever we work together. They just go, you know, you know, how do we get this sound? You know, we, we were such a good band. And George Martin was such a part of that. I'm going to play a little bit of uh, an instrumental, strings only of uh, something. It says take 39. <laughs> right. <laughs> That it's funny. That arrangement is very much only my dad would have done mm. something like that. I think it's <laughs> what, very. What it's, was it about that that makes you say that? <sighs> he was so um, measured, but brilliant. <laughs> Those pizzicatos in that middle eight, and the the depth of thought behind that arrangement. You know, he never did things by halves. 
And I think the beauty of it, of that, is that sounds like a piece of music on its own. Absolutely. And it's an accompaniment to a song. And that's what sets, you know, him apart from other arrangers is that he would, by nature of what he did, he would add, it'd be like, it'd be a terrible analogy, but it'd be like an athlete taking drugs. You know, it'd be suddenly, you know, your song would be on steroids because it'd have all this other intricate melodies going on at the same time. And that's what he did. It was, it, it was you know, I'm so proud of him. It's, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary what he did. And he'd be incredibly proud of you hearing uh, you were his ears for a, a chunk of time but uh, I'm sure he'd love to hear the work you've done here I want to play just uh, a bit of the end which was also fun in 5.1 there are three guitars if I'm not mistaken on this and, and e- each of the three guitar playing Beatles have their hand in this song am I right? That's correct and, yeah and uh, and in the 5.1 which was fun and well it didn't feel gimmicky it felt really great which you'd have one in one channel one in, in the center one on the right could you tell me who's playing which guitar when we get there and the only drum solo uh, yeah. <laughs> on a Beatle record which lasts all about eight, 18 seconds <laughs> I don't know so um, I'm going to play the song but I'll bring it down when the guitars come you tell me who it is here's Ringo and the bottom end listen That's, that's Ringo's reluctant drum solo. My, they had right. to convince him to do it. He did not want to play a drum solo. <laughs> and the guitar, and, walk me through the guitars in it real quick. This is, do you know? Yeah, I think, this, I think, it's, I think we started with Paul. I'm it wrong. That's Paul. Sounds like that's George. That's, yeah, Paul, George, and John. Okay. That's Paul again. George. Dirty John. (laughs) Let's listen to this beautiful end here. how a record 50 years later can give me chills and bring me to tears again but it just did you know well that's wow. a, it's it's amazing it's amazing you think that that was the last song all four Beatles played on and each one of them has their own bit in it each one of them you know Ringo's drums solo Paul's guitar John George's guitars John's guitar my father was orchestration not that he was a Beatle but he was a large part of it it was the perfect epitaph. It was called the end, and it was the end. And it's so sweet. It's so beautiful. And even that diaway of the rebirth and that final string chord at the end is the diaway of the of the sound of of, of the studios. Mm. It's almost like the door is closing on the studios, and 
and they leave. And, you know, people go, well, is that sad? And you go, no, it's, we have so much to be grateful for all of those songs they did and that, how much they worked. I mean, no band has produced so much brilliance in such a short space of time. That's beautiful. Thank you for doing this. And, and uh, You know, it's always a pleasure. You're such a great music fan, and it's such an honor to, to talk to you about this work because it's, it's, it's a lot of work. You know? and, and I know that if you like it, then maybe I've done a good job. You can't see it on radio, but my hair is standing up, and, <laughs> and, and I have goosebumps thinking about and hearing these mixes, hearing things in the songs I'd never heard before in all the times I've listened to these records. And it's them. It's not, you know, it's nothing's manufactured about this. Is you are representing this band just so beautifully. So I thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Always. Next year? Well, I mean, right now I'm talking from Abbey Road where I'm working on the Let It Be film with Peter Jackson. He's coming over and we're, we started mixing some of the music. There's no plans for a record yet. I yeah. mean, they did Let It Be Naked, so it has right. to be justified. I suppose that's always the thing, you know. Right now I've got to do the film. So we'll see. Giles Martin, who along with engineer Sam O'Kell, remixed Abbey Road. There are many ways you can buy this package, as vinyl, as CDs. The main thing to know is that there's a main stereo remix of the entire album. There are two other discs of alternate takes and demos. And then there's another disc that has a 5.1 and Dolby Atmos mix. If you enjoyed this, you should know that I've had all sorts of conversations with Giles Martin in the past about Sgt. Pepper and the White Album, and those are available in our podcast feed or by searching the NPR site. For NPR Music, it's all songs considered. (laughs) ¶¶